quick. God, thank you for this time we can spend together. Thanks for the opportunity just to, to worship you this morning. And I pray, dear God, that our hearts would be moved, our hearts would be touched by what you're going to say to us this morning in this sermon. God, speak through me, speak to me as well, Lord God, and to all of us here. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was a youth pastor, it seems like a long time ago, the cool thing is I actually get to hang out with the students all the time now. I go on Sunday nights. They don't really need me anymore, but I like to go anyway and kind of connect with the students. I love them so much. And, but I, when I was actually a youth pastor, um, there was a student that started coming to the church. And he, he came from a really difficult background. And he started coming and he started getting more and more involved. And um, he's the kind of student that you wouldn't normally think would go to church. All right. And I think that's a mistake, because if you saw me when in my when I was in my senior year, you looked at me, you'd you'd think that's probably not the guy I'm going to invite to church. Listen to him talk. Watch how he's living. Probably not the guy who would be interested in going to church. That's always a mistake when we do that. Well, this guy was not the type of guy who would normally go to church. Uh, difficult background, and he started coming, and he started getting more and more involved. And I could see the incredible potential in this person. Incredible potential. And I think maybe I, 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 I saw that because I, I saw myself younger, in, in my younger days, in his life a little bit. Same, a little bit of same background, same struggles I was, I faced, and coming to church later in your, in your teenage years, and and this guy really started taking off. He would, he would read his Bible a lot. He would come to all the events. I found him one time sitting in my office. I opened the door. There he was sitting in my office, his feet up on my desk, just reading his Bible, you know. And, uh, he, you know, grabbing books and kind of looking things up. And I thought, man, this guy's got so much. God's really working in his heart. But he also really struggled with his past. Had a lot of things going on in his life that were really hard at home and, and, you know, just all the things that life throws at you when you're a teenager, especially if you don't have that stability. And that got the worst of him one Friday night. And he got totally wasted. And the thing, the hard thing was that the students of our youth group really started looking up to him. They, he was like the life of the party, um, really outgoing. He was a little older, so the students really, really, really looked up to him, and they started to follow him as kind of a leader. Even though he wasn't really there all the way spiritually, he was really he was growing. And when he got totally wasted that night because of the struggles he was facing in his life, the other students were really upset about it. And they, they, were, they were so disappointed um, and so angry that they wouldn't forgive him for what he did. And I would sit down and talk to the other students and say, listen, you know, he's, he's, I'm not even sure where he is spiritually right now. You guys are going to have to let this go. People make mistakes and, you know, people, but they, they were so disappointed that he had, he had fallen that way that they wouldn't let it go. And so over time, that young man started hanging out with the people he used to hang out with were not the kind of people he should be hanging out with. Um, and he drifted away from the church. In James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, it says this, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from their error, the error of their way will save him from death and cover a multitude of sins. So James here is encouraging us. We're talking about stretching our faith, stretch marks, stretching our faith. So James is encouraging us to stretch our faith by taking the initiative 
to help lead those who have wandered from the truth back to God. He's saying to us, okay, if you see this happening, if you see someone who is kind of walking along and they're on the right path and then they start to wander from the truth, he says you need to help bring them back into a closer relationship with God. In Galatians chapter 5 and, and verse 7, Paul has a similar concern. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That's a really good question. For a lot of people, and I've heard a lot of different answers to that question. Who cut in on you? Who is who is keeping you? What 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 caused you to wander from the truth? My dad told me a story one time. He said when I was from like birth through 10 or 11 years old, I was a church mouse. I went to church all the time with my mom. His mom was what you would call a holy roller, okay, from Virginia, that small white church on that back road kind of thing. And when I would, we would, I would see her, she go up, she was in Virginia and I was in New York. I didn't see her very much, but when she would write letters or when I would see her, she would talk about Jesus. And I didn't really know what she was talking about. And I just figured, you know, I like her. And so I'll listen to her talk about Jesus, you know, but she was, she loved the Lord. She loved the Lord. My dad went to church three or four times a week from like one to 10. And what he would do is he before he would go to church, there was a, a teenager who was in a wheelchair and my dad would go to that teenager's house and wheel him down the gravel road. You know, this is gravel roads in Virginia way back when 50, 60 years ago, he would he would wheel him down the road and into the church every single Sunday. That was kind of his routine. He really loved this guy and, he, and they were friends. And so he'd wheel him into church. And one Saturday, the young man said to my dad, he said, hey, Lee, you don't have to pick me up tomorrow. Because I, I, I'm going to be going to church. I'm going to be walking to church. My dad said, what are you talking about? He said, a faith healer is coming to town and he's healing people and I'm going to go there and I'm going to get healed. My dad said, you sure you don't want me to just kind of come by? No, nope, no, nope, you don't have to come by as sure as the sun is rising tomorrow. He said, I'm going to get healed. Don't worry about me. I'll be there. I'll see you there. I'm walking by myself. They wheeled the guy into the healing service and they wheeled him out. And he wasn't at church. And my dad went to the leaders of the church and said, I'm confused. He said, you know, my friend, he went to the healing service and and he went in there and then he didn't get healed. And why, why didn't he get healed? And they said to him, because he didn't have enough faith. Yeah, you groan, because that's what I did when he told me the story. He didn't have enough faith is what they said to him. My dad looked at the leaders, didn't say anything, but he said he told me, he said to himself, this is ridiculous. This is this is baloney. He had more faith than all those men put together. Sure as the sun was going to rise, he was going to he was going to walk to church. And so when they said that, you know, people, adults do that sometimes. They throw out these little pat answers. Oh, the reason he didn't get healed is because he didn't have enough faith. Kids aren't stupid. And my father wandered away from God, if you will, never went back to church. Now, 50 years later, 60 years later. As, as a pastor, I, I talk a lot with him and we talk a lot about faith. We talk a lot about the Lord. I know he has a relationship with Christ. Still won't go back to church, though. But for years, my father wandered away from the truth. There's a lot of stories. Everyone has different stories about why that happens. There, there are so many reasons people wander. For some, honestly, it's just a desire to test the waters. They want to just test the waters. They want to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. And so they kind of go off. And but here's the thing about that. That can't be done long term. OK, I know people can can 
can do some things short term and, and get, get kind of walk away from the Lord a little bit or dabble in this or dabble in that. That's just life. And, and I know we shouldn't do it, but I know people that happens sometimes. Maybe you're angry with God about something happened in your life or, or maybe someone in church did something that hurt your feelings, whatever. So you start to wander that that can happen. But a long term, one foot in the world and one foot in the and one foot with the Lord is is not real. It can't happen. Why? Because God says you're either for me or you're against me. Love of the world is hatred toward God. That's what the Bible says. So hanging out in the middle of the road, all you're going to become is roadkill. Okay, that's all there is to it. One foot in the world and one foot in the church, one foot in the world and one foot thinking with God doesn't work. God is not a God in the middle. He's not gray. He, he is. He's very light. Okay. Light and darkness. So that cannot that cannot go on. And that being the case, what I want to do is what I'd like to do for a few minutes is is talk about the dangers of wandering, of being roadkill. Okay, if you're going to play that game, that's what's going to happen. Wandering is extremely dangerous. The Bible teaches us that if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and we go and live like the world, that will lead to judgment. That will lead to judgment. The Bible is filled with warnings about that type of behavior, whether you call it backsliding or whatever else. Some people, but people who just kind of dabble, they come to, they, they come to, to church and they kind of dabble or they, they, they say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but then they kind of, they dabble in Christianity, but they live in the world. That's an extremely dangerous place to live. Wandering, wandering off a path is extremely dangerous for the believer in Jesus Christ and for the non-believer. The word translated wanders here in verse 19 should be understood broadly. It's a broad term. It's widely used to describe any deviation from a righteous life, whether willful or not. Any deviation from a holy life, from a righteous life. That's what it describes here. Wandering away. It's very broad. Any deviation from a righteous life. And that's what we're talking about here. The idea of falling, of, of falling away or backsliding or all the words straying, if you will, is found throughout Scripture. Peter refers to his readers generally as those who are straying like sheep. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 25, it says this, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The believer who sees someone wandering away from God, according to James, has the responsibility to lovingly lead that person back to Christ. That's our responsibility. If we see it happening, we are responsible. I am responsible. You are responsible out of love for that person to try to lead them back to him. James teaches us that investing time in retrieving people who have walked away from Christ will bring God's will bring God's approval and his blessing. You see, the book of James is like a sermon, right? It's like a sermon. We went through the the entire book of James uh, or basically the, the chapters of James all through the summer. So the book of James is is like this sermon. And the last two verses, which we're looking at now, is a call to action. It's a call to action. James is basically saying, listen. He's saying you need to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. You need to live it out in your lives. So we are to be doer. I, Jeff Greer, am supposed to be a doer of the word. Also, what James is saying is that I need to be responsible for other people as well. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. 
I need to be responsible to encourage others to be doers of the word as well. And if I see someone who is not living that way, I need to have the courage instead of just sitting back in our culture and watching people do things that are if the Bible says something is wrong and and, and, it, and not to do it. The reason it says that is because it will lead people to a life of misery and death. That's why it says it. And I am responsible to love people enough that when I see someone doing something, I need to in love go to that person and try to encourage them to be to continue to walk in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, not out of a heart of legalism. Well, that's boom, boom. This is, and, and guilt and, and shaming a person. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying I'm not saying we need to go and we need to encourage people or we need to do this out of a, a heart of legalism or being judgmental, but out of a heart of compassion. That's what James is talking about here. He has a heart of compassion. He's watching people who are walking away from from Christ. And he's saying, if you see someone who's walking away from Christ, love them enough. Have the courage to sit down with them and say, I see this in your life. I'm not saying I'm perfect. You know me. You can say this person far from it. But I see you making some choices that I really think is going to have a profound impact in your life. And I love you too much just to let that go. James here is motivated by the fact that if a person continues to sin, it will lead to death. It will lead to a life of misery. I, as a pastor, see this firsthand all the time. People making choices in their lives where I could literally sit down in my office with people sometimes and go through it. And they're just like, well, uh, they give me reasons and excuses. And I and I've said this to people. Okay, listen, I love you. I don't want you to continue to make these choices because I already told you what I think is going to happen. But I, I said to him, I can I can literally sit here and say, if you continue down the path that you're going, I'm going to sit behind my desk and I'm going to write your life out. Okay. I'm going to write out just highlights of your life and where you're going to end up. I'll seal in an envelope. You take it, open it up 10 years from now, and you'll think, wow, he's a prophet. Not really. I'm just, I just have been around long enough in my life to realize if you, if you choose to make these decisions, this is what's going to happen. Proverbs is a great book for this. There are precepts and principles in the Bible. Precepts, thou shalt not. Boom, boom, boom. No, no question whatsoever. Promises, boom. All right. Then there are pre, then that, then there are principles. Okay. If you choose a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath most of the time, right? If you are, if someone's all worked up eight or nine out of ten times, if you just lower the tension level and you don't raise up where they're going, usually they'll bring them a gentle answer turns away wrath nine out of ten times. The other time the guy punches you in the face. All right. That's just, you know, it's a it's a principle. OK, it's a principle. If you choose to do the opposite and you choose, if you say the next time he does that, I'm just going to I'm, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. You're going to get into a confrontation, a fight or physical some altercation nine out of ten times. That's what's going to happen. That's what we're talking about here. James knows this. And so as a pastor, I see this all the time. And it's what motivates me, honestly. It, it, honestly, it makes, it, it, it makes me passionate about my faith. It's why I preach with a sense of urgency. It's why when I see someone in trouble, I have such a sense of urgency. Because I know if you continue down this path, this is what's going to happen. And I really love you guys, and I really love people. 
as annoying as we can all be as human beings, okay, I love people and I don't want anyone to live the life that they're living now sometimes because I know at the end, the end result of that is going to be either, either a life of misery or death. The Bible's clear. If you continue to sin, okay, if you continue to sin and mock God with your choices, God is not mocked. It will lead to death, either spiritual death or physical death. And, every, and a lot of people in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. You've experienced people who have made choices in their life that have led to their own death. Or ultimately, they walk away from Christ or they really never, maybe never knew him. But ultimately, people who, who have been dabbling in church and kind of come and they ultimately say, you know, that's not for me. I think I'll kind of do something else. And, and ultimately, you know what happens to them when they pass on. God loves us. Okay. God loves us. God wants a relationship with us. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. God is patient with us. God wants us. He's patient and he wants us to fulfill the purpose for which we were created. And if that's the case, if that is the case, then it is the responsibility of every single believer in this room when they see someone wandering away from the truth to try to bring them back to God. It is it, it, we should it, is, it should be our responsibility. We should have this heart, this this desire to lead people back into a relationship with Christ. It is our responsibility to challenge each other. Okay, you can we can challenge each other without being without being holier than thou. We can sit down with each other one on one and without being holier than thou or anything else or people will judge not or all this kind of stuff. We can sit down and love people enough to say, you know what? I just want to challenge you and I want to give you the right to challenge me right back. If you see it happening in my life, I want to challenge you to continue to walk with Christ. You're not doing that right right now. See, to make sure all of us need to do that, to make sure that we are living a biblical Christian life and not a cultural Christian life. Not living carnal Christianity, but living out the kind of Christianity that Bible, the Bible calls us to live. We need to challenge each other to do that. Not a relationship of convenience, but a relationship of obedience. That's what we need to challenge each other to. Because it's so easy for us to just, you know, I come into church and I call myself a Christian and I do this kind of thing and then just kind of leave and do what you want to do once you leave here. It doesn't really matter because, you know, as long as you show up and as long as you do go through your, your own little your own little things in your head, your own little traditions in your head, you think everything's fine and dandy, but you're not living your life for Christ. This relationship you have with Christ is not a relationship of convenience. It should be a life of a relationship of obedience, whether believer or seeker. Here's the deal. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Now, if a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and walking with God is so important, then why do people wander? For the remainder of our time, I want to give you three reasons, and there's a lot more. But I want to give you three reasons why I believe people wander from the truth. The first reason people wander from the truth is basically pride. They wander from the truth because of pride. I'm going to show you a quick video. One day, making tracks in the prairie of Prags, came a north-going Zax, a north-going Zax, and a south-going Zax, a north-going Zax, and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they... There they stood, foot to foot, face to face. 
Look here now. The North Goings Act said, Hey, say, you are blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a North Goings Act, and I always go north. Get out of my way now and let me go forth. Who's in whose way? Snap the South Goings Act. I always go south making south going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move and let me go south in my south going room. Then the North Goings Act said with North Going Pride, I never have taken a step to one side, and I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the South Goings Act, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years. For I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in South Going School. Never budge, that's my rule. Never budge in the least, not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging, I can and I will, and you make sure the whole world stand still. I mean, we have the law of God written in our hearts, and this is the person who goes through life and meets up with the truth, but basically refuses to accept it. They're on a path, right? They're on a path, and they will not be moved. They have a thought, their own kind of thought process. They've created their own belief system and refuse to entertain any other options. In, in their lives. Now, they may have been coming to church. I mean, people, people will come to church for years. They may have been going to church since they were children. And they've become comfortable. Honestly, you can go. I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago. They went to a church that's more, you know, whatever, you know, whatever goes. It doesn't really matter. We all come together. There's no absolute truth. And they just like to listen to the music that they played. And they like to hear a, a nice talk. I'm not going to call it a sermon. But a nice talk that made me feel good. And so I can go. You know, I feel good. Then I leave. And so those are the kind of people. That have gotten maybe comfortable in their lives with their traditions or their rituals or their rules or whatever else, and they will not change their mind. They're not going to change the way that they think. They say they say things like this: I go to church when I can. I, I I'm a good person by my own standards. Is really what they're saying by my own standards. I help people. Sometimes. And here is my favorite of all, you know, really, does it doesn't really matter, guys. Why? Why we even talk about this kind of stuff? Because God is love. That's it. God is love. Right. And it doesn't really matter. The rest of it doesn't really matter. Let's just get our theology really straight here. God is love. Dumb. We're done. Okay, I don't want to talk about anything else. Not his holiness. Okay, not his righteousness. Not a judgment. All those things. Not his mercy. Not his grace. All the things that really matter. No, because God is love. That's the end of the day. I don't want to talk about anything else. In other words, in other words, I believe what I believe and don't confuse me with the truth. So when the word of God, when the truth comes to that person, they basically have their pride says, you know what? I'm, I'm good the way I am. In some people's cases, they feel like they have it all. They've got it all down and they don't really need God because they really have everything they, they, they actually want. And so the, the semblance of God, if you will, that they have in their lives is just good enough. And besides, 
Besides, this whole idea of Jesus being Lord of my life, what you're talking about, like what James is talking about, being the Lord of my life, being doers of the word, that's way too much. Okay, here's the deal. I'm the Lord of my own life. I don't mind this whole Savior idea because Savior is great. Savior works right in. God is love, so I can do anything I want. Everything's going to work out fine. And he's the Savior of my life. Of my life. So at the end of my life, I'm going to be going to heaven and everything's cool. But Lord, I'm the Lord of my own life and I don't want want to change that. I'm in charge. That's number one. Number two, they allow the past to dictate their future. They allow their past to dictate their future. See, we often make mistakes in life and then think to ourselves, we could never go back. This is how, why people wander away. They're, they're, God has them walk, starting to walk toward him. And all of a sudden, the enemy gets them sidetracked or they make some decisions and they think, see, I've messed up. I can never go back. I can never go back. Non-believers, sometimes non-Christians think that I've done so many things. How, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, man, I walked through the doors. I expected the walls to cave in and the roof to cave in on me. I feel like saying you, you don't even, you don't even measure up to the rest of us standers in here. Okay, so don't worry about the roof caving in on you. It didn't cave in on me. It didn't cave in on these other people. It's not going to cave in on you. And what they're saying is, I, you know, I've done so much wrong. I have gone so far off track. I have done things that would curl the hair on your head. And so, you know, this is uh, God will not accept me. God will not forgive me. God does not love me. And I'm going to tell you something. That is the complete opposite of the truth. That's not what the Bible says. But again, they get that stuck in their heads. I've done stuff that is so wrong. God would never forgive me. He would never he would never accept me. And he doesn't love me. Romans 5, 8 says the opposite. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. God demonstrates his own love for us. All of us, every human being in this. Okay. It says, while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. When Christ Jesus died on the cross, he took every sin of humanity, past, present, and future, on himself and died on the cross. He knew what he was getting into. He knew you from the beginning of time. God is God. He understands. And that's why Jesus sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, not because he was thinking about, oh, they're going to drive spikes into my hand and through my feet. That, I'm sure, was would make someone anxious or or whatever. But the reason he sweat blood is because he knew when he hung on the cross and was dying for us, he understood he was going to take all of our sin. He could he could honestly cognitively understand what that meant and he could feel it and sense it. Christ died for us while we were yet still sinners. Nothing you have done in your past is so great, is so overwhelming that can overwhelm the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's what Romans, that's what the whole Bible tells us. Sometimes also Christians will make mistakes and then they think to themselves, oh man, they've made mistakes. And so they start wandering away from God. They feel bad. They feel ashamed and they start wandering away from God. And then what bothers me sometimes is that the Christian community makes them feel even more ashamed. And I don't think this happens at Grace Chapel. I'm sure it happens sometimes, but I don't, I don't see it that often. But in Christianity in general, many times we shoot our wounded. Someone makes a mistake. Someone falls. And instead of restoring that person, we are we are called by God to restore, not destroy. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The God of grace who forgives all of us can forgive the person that that fell next to us. Right. We need to help that person up. We need to show them love and compassion. We need to lead them back into a relationship with Christ. 
God is their God. If they repented and asked God to forgive them, our only responsibility is how then do I restore you into relationship? How can I reconnect with you to help to make sure that doesn't happen again to the best of my ability? That's what God wants from us. Number three, the third reason we wander from the truth is because we are afraid of the unknown. We fear the unknown. We often wander from the truth, honestly, because we don't know where the truth is going to lead us. I'm not really sure the truth is going to lead me. What if what is God going to ask me to do? You see, what happens is we come, we, we get drawn into a relationship. We get drawn closer to Christ, but then something happens along the way. And what happens, we begin to struggle in our minds because we start asking questions. I am in part of regeneration where God is drawing me to himself. But then all of a sudden the enemy comes in or I start asking myself questions, my sinful nature. If I really start living for God, what is he going to expect of me? What, what am I really buying into here? What, what's going to happen? What, what am I going to have to give up? Right? I, I feel, I, I know God is real and I know he's working in my life, but, but what, am, what am I going to have to give up? What, what are my friends and family? If I start really living for God, what are my friends and family going to think? See, it's okay to go to church, but listen, here's the thing. You guys, you guys can go to church at Grace Chapel. Just don't get carried away. Okay? Religion is great in moderation. All right? You go, you, you do your thing, and you go, when you get out of here, though, don't, let's not get carried away with this whole thing. That's how people, that's how they make you feel. And so when you really want to start living for Christ, it's like, it's, it's like well, you know, keep it, you guys got to keep it to yourself. It's a, you know, your religion, your relationship with Christ is a personal thing. So keep it personal. That's what they're saying. So what are my friends and family going to think about this? You know, going to church, what are they going to think about? Will I have to change who I am? You start the, that, my, that starts coming into your mind. Am I going to have to change who I am? The answer to that is yes, it is. You are for the better. God is going to change you for the better. When I go to my sporting events, am I going to have to stand up and yell, praise the Lord if my team scores? If you want to make the rest of us look like a knucklehead, yes, go right ahead and do that. All right. But honestly, no. But that's what people think. They're, 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 Satan puts, see, if you do this, you're going to be an outcast. You're, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be one of those people. You're going to be one of those people. And so all of a sudden, you start to drift away. You start really, really rethinking this. See, here's the real answer to your question. What is God is going to expect of me? What's God going to do with my life? God is going to mold you into the person. Listen to me. God is going to mold you into the person that you were created to be. You are going to become the ultimate you. You're going to become the ultimate you. It's like plugging into the source. And all of a sudden, the, the person I was designed to be, I'm going to be able to become that person because now I have the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ living in me. He will restore you. He's going to restore you to his original goal for your life, his original plan for your life. The world has stolen from you what God has given you, your true identity. The world has stolen your birthright, your true ultimate birthright. 
You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That is who you are. And the world has stolen your birthright and has stolen from you your ultimate purpose in life and stolen from you your true identity. Your identity comes from your job. Get to the height of your job. If you just move up the ladder, that's your purpose. That's your identity. If, if uh, this, oh, Your identity is in school. If you're the most popular person, if you're the best, best person at this, if, if you're the best math genius, you're the best person, that's your identity. And we get wrapped up in all these other things and God is saying no no what has been stolen from you your true purpose and identity in life I can give it back to you I can give it back to you and you say well I'm older Jeff I'm older I've missed a lot of time let me tell you what Joel 225 says I love this he says I will restore I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten the world may have pulled you away for 40 years but Jesus God can restore you to the person he has created you to be you can be restored you can be renewed you can be you can you can start over you can get that do-over remember when you hit the ball on the tree and it was up in the tree what did we all yell do-over Life can be a do-over and God can restore you. Did you hear that? God can rebuild your life. That's what we're talking. That's what James is talking about here. Proverbs 23:18 says this, "There is surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off." What can you expect? What can you expect if you truly give your life completely to Christ? Jesus said this in John 10:10. 10, 10. He says, "The thief, listen to what I'm saying, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. What did I say in the very beginning? Sin leads to death. It leads to a life of misery. The thief, Jesus said, the thief, the enemy comes only to steal. Steal what? Steal your identity. Steal your purpose in life. Steal the meaning. Steal everything from you. The person that you were designed to be, the ultimate you. He wants to steal that from you so that you are incapable or you're, you just face, you feel like you're sitting in a corner and just, just, you know, rolling up in a ball. And Jesus says, I don't want you rolling up in a ball. I know he, I know the enemy has done this to you, but I can restore who you were designed to be. The power of the resurrection, greater is he that that is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things to Christ who gives me strength. That's what God is saying. That's what Jesus is saying. The thief comes only to steal and kill. Kill physically sometimes. If he can kill you physically, that'd be great. He, he wants you so miserable that you make so many bad choices, especially when you're younger, that you feel like, oh, if I could just end it all. And he takes your life or he takes your spiritual life, if you will. Not that you can lose your salvation, but that you never actually get there because he steals it from you or destroy. What? Destroy everything. Destroy your family. Destroy you as a person. Destroy your purpose in life and what you were, you were chosen by God to do. He wants to destroy that. And Jesus said, I have come. Why have I come? That they may have life. And they may have it to the full. Jesus Christ died for you so that you can live for him. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And then he said, when I go to the Father, the Holy Spirit will come and you will do even greater things than you've seen me do. He died for you so that you can live your life completely and ultimately and totally for him. Each of us is called to live for Jesus Christ. We are also called to help others stay on the path. Stay on a path, live out the path that God has for their lives, even when that path gets rocky, even when it gets difficult. Let me tell you this, okay? It is, it is not loving to watch people, whether they're believers or unbelievers, 
to watch people go against what the word of God says is best for their lives and say to yourself, well, I just want to be accepting of everyone and what they choose to do with every. I just want to be I just want to love is love. And I just I don't want to get anyone's way. And, and hear me out. I don't mean to be too um, whatever, but that's cowardice. When you see someone who's suffering, when you see when you look at someone's life and say if they continue to go, the Bible says the word of God says the principles of Scripture say if this person continues down this path, they are not going to be in a close relationship with God. So ultimately, that's a big problem. And number two, their lives, their lives on this earth are not going to turn out the way they think they're going to turn out. And you say nothing standing outside someone's house when it's burning down and saying, well, I don't want to bother them. The firemen are going to come at some point, and I'm sure it'll all work out for them because I guess if they they know their house is burning and and they know a fire is hot. And so if they wanted to get out, they get out of themselves. And again, someone that my neighbor is going to help. That's just we need to love people enough to tell them the truth. You need to love people enough to tell them the truth. We as Christians need to get off this. You know, I don't want to I want to be I don't want to be a hater and I don't want to tell people this and I don't want to. It's loving. It is it is it is it is courage and and loving to tell someone when their life is going in the wrong direction. That's loving. It is unloving to tell them when they're when they're going through that to not tell them anything. Next week, we're going to start a new series. It's called How Big Is Your God? We're going to end this series today. And next week we start a new series called How Big Is Your God? And in that series, what I want to do is I want to take a journey. I want all of us to take this journey. I want you to set goals in the beginning of the journey. And I want you to try to fulfill those goals at the end of the journey. And this has really helped us. So what I want to do, what I want to do is I want to walk through the journey is going to go from the children of Israel, from captivity and bondage in Egypt, all the way through the promised land. All the ups and the downs, all the victories and all the failures. And I want you to understand how our lives, we have this, we have similar patterns in our lives to what they went through from bondage to freedom, from bondage, from slavery to the promised land. We all want to end up in the promised land, right? That's what we're talking about, stretching our faith. Now we're going to ask ourselves, how big is our God? Can he really get me from where I am right now in my life to where I need to be, where I want to be, where I desire to be, where I long to be? And the answer to that question is yes, but you've got to answer this question. How big is your God? How big is your God? This is a series that I honestly believe will be encouraging for both, for both the believer and the non-believer. Whether you're a Christian or not, this is going to be an encouraging series for both. So, so here's what I want to do. As we close this morning, then we would close out this sermon series, Stretch Marks. I want to take communion together. And here's what I want you to do as we take communion. Two things. Number one, you need to remember Christ and his death on the cross. And we're going to do that for sure. But I also want you to remember all that God has taught you, all the lessons you learned throughout this series. And I want you to remember those. and I want you to try to bring them back to your memory and the changes that God has made in your life so far during this series, because we're going to need those. We're going to need to remember those for the next series. So let's remember those as we also remember the one who transforms lives. I'm going to read from first Corinthians. Start off with communion. First Corinthians, chapter 11, starting at verse 23. After I'm finished reading, I'm going to pray. 
After I'm finished praying for the bread and the cup, you can get up from your seat. You don't have to wait for anybody else. As the spirit leads you, you can get up from your seat. Go take the bread and the cup. You can come sit back down. You can kneel up here. Whatever the spirit leads you to do. All right. You don't have to be a member of Grace Chapel to take communion with us. We just ask that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. We thank you for this series, Lord, that you have allowed us to go through, to stretch our faith, to stretch our faith, to learn about you, to push forward, to push the cause of Christ forward, to to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities to, to further the kingdom of God. We thank you for that opportunity. And now we're moving into a new series, Lord, and we want to ask that question, how big is our God? And then we want to answer it with our lives, with our faith. Father, we think of your son, Jesus Christ. We think of a God who is big enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, into this world, who loved us enough to send Jesus Christ into this world, to die on a cross for our sins, to offer up his body as a sacrifice for us. We thank you for the bread which symbolizes that body that was given for us. And we ask that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. We think of the cup that represents the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that blood that was shed for us and that because of the blood that was shed for us, we can enter into your presence. We can enter into the holy of holies. We can have a relationship with you. We can have a conversation with you like I'm having now. It's amazing. We don't need anybody else. We just need, we can come right to you because of what Jesus did on the cross for us and shedding his blood. And we thank you for that. We pray dear God that you'll be with each one of us. May we set goals for ourselves May we, may we stand before you and ask you the right questions. What are some things in my life that need to change? And when you answer those questions, Lord God, we pray that we would walk step by step, week by week, to becoming more like the person you've created us to be, to becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together. Father, thank you for the transformation that we've seen in so many lives. You've done miraculous things through this series. You have done miraculous things. And now, God, as we walk into a new series, we walk into your word. We pray to your God that you would transform us. That we would be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. And that we would love each other enough and love the world around us enough to have the courage to speak the truth in a way that will be received by others and their lives will be transformed as well. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.